Case Two: Ancient Sorceries, Part Six, of John Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. John Silence by Algernon Blackwood. Case Two: Ancient Sorceries, Part Six. It may seem rather abrupt to you this sudden tame ending," said Arthur Vezin glancing with flushed face and timid eyes at Dr. Silence sitting there with his notebook. But the fact is, um, from that moment, my memory seems to have failed rather. I have no distinct recollection of how I got home or what precisely I did. It appears I never went back to the inn at all. I only dimly recollect racing down a long white road in the moonlight, past woods and villages, still and deserted, and then the dawn came up and I saw the towers of a biggish town and so came to a station. But long before that, I remember pausing somewhere on the road and looking back to where the hill town of my adventures stood up in the moonlight, and thinking how exactly like a great monstrous cat it lay there upon the plain, its huge front paws lying down the two main streets, and the twin and broken towers of the cathedral marking its torn ears against the sky. That picture stays in my mind with the utmost vividness to this day. Another thing remains in my mind from that escape, namely, the sudden sharp reminder that I had not paid my bill, and the decision I made standing there on the dusty high road, that the small baggage I had left behind would more than settle for my indebtedness. For the rest, I can only tell you that I got coffee and bread at a cafe on the outskirts of this town I had come to, and soon after found my way to the station and caught a train later in the day. That same evening I reached London. "'And how long altogether?' asked John Silence quietly. "'Do you think you stayed in the town of the adventure?' Vezin looked up sheepishly. "'I was coming to that,' he resumed, with apologetic wrigglings of his body. "'In London I found that I was a whole week out in my reckoning of time. "'I had stayed over a week in the town, and it ought to have been September 15th, "'instead of which it was only September 10th. "'So that, in reality,' "'You had only stayed a night or two in the end?' queried the doctor. Vezin hesitated before applying. He shuffled upon the mat. "'I must have gained time somewhere,' he said at length. "'Somewhere or somehow. I certainly had a week to my credit. I can't explain it. I can only give you the fact.' "'And this happened to you last year, since when you have never been back to the place?' "'Last autumn, yes,' murmured Vezin. "'And I have never dared to go back. I think I never want to.' "'And tell me,' asked Dr. Silence at length, when he saw that the little man had evidently come to the end of his words and had nothing more to say. "'Had you ever read up on the subject of the old witchcraft practices during the Middle Ages, or been at all interested in the subject?' "'Never!' declared Vezin emphatically. "'I had never given a thought to such matters, so far as I know. "'Or to the question of reincarnation, perhaps?' "'Never, before my adventure, but I have since.' he replied significantly. There was, however, something still in the man's mind that he wished to relieve himself of by confession, yet could only with difficulty bring himself to mention, and it was only after the sympathetic tactfulness of the doctor had provided numerous openings that he at length availed himself of one of them, and stammered that he would like to show him the marks he still had on his neck, where he said the girl had touched him with her anointed hands. He took off his collar after infinite fumbling hesitation, 
and lowered his shirt a little for the doctor to see. And there, on the surface of the skin, lay a faint reddish line across the shoulder and extending a little way down the back towards the spine. It certainly indicated exactly the position an arm might have taken in the act of embracing. And on the other side of the neck, slightly higher up, was a similar mark, though not quite so clearly defined. That was where she held me that night on the ramparts, he whispered, a strange light coming and going in his eyes. It was some weeks later, when I again found occasion to consult John Silence concerning another extraordinary case that had come under my notice, and we fell to discussing Vezin's story. Since hearing it, the doctor had made investigations on his own account, and one of his secretaries had discovered that Vezin's ancestors had actually lived for generations in the very town where the adventure came to him. Two of them, both women, had been tried and convicted as witches, and had been burned alive at the stake. Moreover, it had not been difficult to prove that the very inn where Vezin stayed was built about 1700 upon the spot where the funeral pyre stood and the executions took place. The town was a sort of headquarters for all the sorcerers and witches of the entire region, and after conviction they were burnt there literally by scores. It seems strange, continued the doctor, that Vezin should have remained ignorant of all this, but on the other hand, it was not the kind of history that successive generations would have been anxious to keep alive, or to repeat to their children. Therefore I am inclined to think he still knows nothing about it. The whole adventure seems to have been a very vivid revival of the memories of an earlier life, caused by coming directly into contact with the living forces still intense enough to hang about the place, and by a most singular chance, too, with the very souls who had taken part with him in the events of that particular life. For the mother and daughter who impressed him so strangely must have been leading actors with himself in the scenes and practices of witchcraft which at that period dominated the imaginations of the whole country. One has only to read the histories of the times to know that these witches claimed the power of transforming themselves into various animals, both for the purposes of disguise and also to convey themselves swiftly to the scenes of their imaginary orgies. Lycanthropy, or the power to change themselves into wolves, was everywhere believed in, and the ability to transform themselves into cats by rubbing their bodies with a special salve or ointment provided by Satan himself found equal credence. The witchcraft trials abound in evidences of such universal beliefs. Dr. Silence quoted chapter and verse from many writers on the subject, and showed how every detail of Vezin's adventure had a basis in the practices of those old days. But that the entire affair took place subjectively in the man's own consciousness, I have no doubt, he went on in reply to my questions. For my secretary, who has been to the town to investigate, discovered his signature in the visitor's book, and proved by it that he had arrived on September 8th, and left suddenly without paying his bill. He left two days later, and they still were in possession of his dirty brown bag and some tourist clothes. I paid a few francs in settlement of his debt, and have sent his luggage on to him. The daughter was absent from home, but the proprietress, a large woman very much as he described her, told my secretary that he had seen a very strange, absent-minded kind of gentleman, and after his disappearance she had feared for a long time that he had met with a violent inn in the neighboring forest where he used to roam about alone. I should like to have obtained a personal interview with the daughter so as to ascertain how much was subjective and how much actually took place with her as Vezin told it. 
for her dread of fire and the sight of burning must, of course, have been the intuitive memory of her former painful death at the stake, and have thus explained why he fancied more than once that he saw her through smoke and flame. And that mark on his skin, for instance, I inquired. Merely the marks produced by hysterical brooding, he replied, like the stigmata of the religieuse, and the bruises which appear on the bodies of hypnotized subjects who have been told to expect them. This is very common and easily explained. Only it seems curious that these marks should have remained so long in Vezin's case. Usually they disappear quickly. Obviously he is still thinking about it all, brooding and living it all over again, I ventured. Probably. And this makes me fear that the end of his trouble is not yet. We shall hear of him again. It is a case, alas, I can do little to alleviate. Dr. Silence spoke gravely and with sadness in his voice. And what do you make of the Frenchman in the train? I asked further. The man who warned him against the place, a cause du sommeil et a cause des chats. Surely a very singular occurrence. A very singular occurrence indeed, he made answer slowly, and one I can only explain on the basis of a highly improbable coincidence, namely, that the man was one who had himself stayed in the town and undergone there a similar experience. I should like to find this man and ask him, but the crystal is useless here, for I have no slightest clue to go upon, and I can only conclude that some singular psychic affinity, some force still active in his being out of the same past life, drew him thus to the personality of Vezin, and enabled him to fear what might happen to him, and thus to warn him as he did. Yes, he presently continued, half talking to himself. I suspect in this case that Vezin was swept into the vortex of forces arising out of the intense activities of a past life, and that he lived over again a scene in which he had often played a leading part centuries before. For strong actions set up forces that are so slow to exhaust themselves, they may be said, in a sense, never to die. In this case, they were not vital enough to render the illusion complete, so that the little man found himself caught in a very distressing confusion of the present and the past. Yet he was sufficiently sensitive to recognize that it was true, and to fight against the degradation of returning, even in memory, to a former and lower state of development. Ah, yes, he continued, crossing the floor to gaze at the darkening sky, and seemingly quite oblivious of my presence. Subliminal uprushes of memory like this can be exceedingly painful, and sometimes exceedingly dangerous. I only trust that this gentle soul may soon escape from this obsession of a passionate and tempestuous past. But I doubt it. I doubt it. His voice was hushed with sadness as he spoke, and when he turned back into the room again, there was an expression of profound yearning upon his face, the yearning of a soul whose desire to help is sometimes greater than his power. End of Case 2 Ancient Sorceries Part 6 Recording by Alan Winteroud